For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Cardinal are at a crossroads as they head to Corvallis. That's true for the entire team. Does that also apply to KJ Costello as well? Let's talk about it, among other things, as we preview Stanford football's trip up to Corvallis to face the Oregon State Beavers on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. It is Thursday, September 26th, 2019. Thank you for joining us on the show. I am indeed Troy Clarity. Happy to have you on board for another rousing rendition of the TreeCast, which of course is the go-to podcast for Stanford football. Coming up, our special guest will be probably the publisher of the go-to website, for information on Stanford uh, football and sports as, as well, especially in the recruiting side of things. Uh, no one, I don't think, uh, right now does it any better than uh, Jacob Rayburn from Cardinal Sports Report and Rivals.com, the Stanford website. So Jacob Rayburn uh, will drop by a bit later on in the show. We'll get his thoughts on the Cardinals so far and what we could possibly see uh, in the road ahead for Stanford for the remainder of the 2019 season. And, of course, you're also going to hear a little bit of David Shaw's thoughts sprinkled throughout the program. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. It's the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. And on Google Play as well. Subscribe, rate, and review. I always appreciate uh, those of you who have uh, given uh, such fantastic feedback. And I appreciate it. It's all from people I don't know. That's awesome. Uh, But I certainly appreciate uh, you and your thoughts, uh, your positive feedback on the show. Tell a friend. Tell everyone. Tell a foe. uh, And let's, uh, let's try to make this as big of a show as we can possibly make it. Stanford's at one and three on the season. A three game losing streak, something that they have not uh, experienced since 2008. And they head up to the Pacific Northwest to face the Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State at one and two on the year. And people kind of tended to overlook this game when looking at the Stanford Cardinals' really early, brutal stretch and the schedule wise. And people just automatically assume that, that this would be an automatic win for Stanford. People who thought that obviously have not been paying attention to the Cardinal and specifically what they tend to do and how they tend to perform up in Corvallis. It has not been easy up there for the Cardinal over the past few years. And I expect, quite honestly, more of the same when the Cardinal and the Beavers kick things off this Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. You can watch that game on the Pac-12 Network, by the way. Of course, we begin every program by giving you the three things that you absolutely positively need to know about Stanford football as of this exact moment in time. So why wait? Let's go ahead and dive into it and start with... Well, I'm looking forward to the moment when we have a three things that does not deal with injuries. Here's what we know, and I say this as of Thursday afternoon... Uh, From the offensive line, uh, two guys who went down late in the game. 
Uh, left guard Devery Hamilton was listed as doubtful for this game against Oregon State, and right tackle Foster Sorrell was listed as questionable against the Beavers. Both of those guys injured on Stanford's five final last desperation drive. Uh, I saw Sorrell uh, get helped off the field. I did not see Devery Hamilton uh, get injured. Apparently, he dropped to a, he dropped to the ground at the final play and, and and had to be helped off the field. I did not see that. So thank you to those of you who uh, pointed that out to me along the way. Now, there's, there's been a little bit of blowback, and I've heard some controversy and some criticism from some folks as, as far as why he had uh, those guys, uh, Hamilton and Sorrell, out there at that time. And I'd be willing to have that conversation, too, if Stanford had enough healthy bodies on the offensive line to begin with. Look, in that situation, if Stanford had five more, more other healthy offensive linemen, then yeah, I, I've been right there with you, wondering exactly why those guys were out there. I mean, Hamilton and Sorrell were the two guys who got hurt. You can't take them both out at the same time. You just can't. The bodies just aren't there. Let's say you take Hamilton out, okay? You put Barrett Miller in his spot, and then you take Sorrell out. Okay, then that likely means that Henry Haddis slides over from right guard to right tackle. But who plays right guard? No, the bodies just aren't there. The bodies just are not there for that. So we may know a bit more uh, by the time this, that by the time that you hear this. Again, I, I'm saying this on early Thursday afternoon. Uh, we may know their exact statuses for uh, this week uh, against Oregon State. But uh, as of right now, uh, again, Devery Hamilton, doubtful. Foster Sorrell, questionable. Two of Stanford's best offensive linemen so far this year. More injuries brings us to number KJ Costello dealing with the banged up thumb that he suffered very early in that game against Oregon last week. You heard his thoughts on the previous tree cast, which he said, God, I just, I just can't get a break, man. I just cannot catch a break. And that has carried over into this week of practice. KJ, according to David Shaw, with minimal throwing, at least as of Wednesday afternoon's practice, minimal throwing this week and officially listed as questionable as well uh, for the road trip up to Corvallis. Now, on Tuesday's press conference with David Shaw, I asked the coach uh, if the banged up thumb by KJ Costello affected the quarterback at all during the course of that Oregon game, and if so, how? Uh, it's it's really tough to say. Um, what what uh, um, you know, like I said, KJ was, he fought through it the whole game and made some great throws you know, late in the game. Um, um, a couple of those in-breaking uh, passes with guys in his face um, were, were, were big-time throws. Um, so it's hard to say how much uh, what he's battling. Um, really effective play. That's David Shaw. Shaw also later went on to say that down and distance affected the passing game's performance and some things that uh, uh, that it that it did from a play calling standpoint more than KJ's thumb did. So there is that. But it's still going to be a subplot coming into this one. Uh, Costello and the status of his throwing hand. And even if it's not 100%, how could that potentially affect things in the Cardinal passing game against the Beavers? That's one big question. We're two things in, and that means we've got number three. There's 
been a lot made of David Shaw and his evaluation process and many times the seeming results of that evaluation process. Well, what exactly is David Shaw's post-game evaluation process? How exactly uh, does he go through things and look at things and decide which way to proceed uh, heading into the next week's game? Shaw was asked that very question this week on Tuesday, and I'm going to play his entire response here because I think it's well worth it. David Shaw on his entire post-game evaluation process. I typically watch the game at least three times by Sunday night. Um, I watch the offense, I watch defense, I watch special teams. Then I watch it in game order um, all the way through, watching everything that we're doing, watching every, every position, every young guy, every older guy who's playing well, who's doing what. Um, then I go back, and then I watch, in particular, the offensive defense again. And typically, I watch the offense at least one more time, um, evaluating what we're doing and how we're doing it, um, because I think there's a there's a growth. Even when you're playing well, you have to do that and continue to make sure that you're not being um, just uh, doing the same things over and over again, changing personnel, um, changing formations, without losing what you do well. Um, there were things I thought that. Uh, game plan wise, um, we could have emphasized differently. Um, there were things I thought we emphasized properly and we just didn't get a release or we didn't make a play or we had an opportunity to make a play. Um, so those are the things that you always have to balance between you can't scrap everything because it's not working. Some things you look at and say, okay, maybe we don't need to do that. But some things we say, hey, we need to keep doing this because we do it well. We're just not executing one part of what we're doing. So um, that's the balance uh, that, you, that I think every, every coach goes through in, in all three phases, which you're, you're constantly watching yourself and watching what we're doing. Um, make sure you're utilizing your, your personnel properly, um, accounting for injury, accounting for your next opponent. So um, that's a constant battle, once, once again, whether you're playing well or not playing well. That's David Shaw taking us through his post-game evaluation process, and he admits uh, specifically when you're talking about this Oregon result that there were facets of the game plan against the Ducks that, that could have been emphasized a bit differently. So, so he wasn't blaming the loss to Oregon necessarily all on execution. And there have been times, especially in post-game situations, where Shaw said, God, I wish I had that call back. There, there have been times where, where he's admitted that he's made some calls that, 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 that put his team in some bad situations. More often than not, however, you know, not everything you're going to call is going to work. That's just how it is. After all, the other team is trying to win, too. But I, I appreciate Shaw taking us through how he evaluates things, uh, the thoroughness of that process, and um, kind of what's on his mind when he tries to figure out where to get better going forward. Those are three things. Stanford at Oregon State this weekend, of course. And the last time Stanford went to Corvallis, a quarterback controversy that had kind of been bubbling just a little bit boiled over completely against the Beavers. You might remember two years ago, Keller Chris was actually coming off of a very good performance, perhaps his best game in the Stanford uniform against the Oregon Ducks. He looked, he looked pretty good that night. Then Stanford went up to Oregon State, and the Cardinal offense did almost literally next to nothing. And at no point did we see K.J. Costello on the field. He was in the building. 
He had a helmet. He was fully dressed, but we never saw him on the field during the course of that game, despite the major struggles that Stanford was having under Keller Chris direction against the Beavers. Now, my theory on this is that as poorly as Stanford had been playing offensively, they still were never more than one score out of that game. David Shaw was hoping that Keller Chris would just lead Stanford to that, that just that one score, that one score that they needed. And as it turned out, they did. Thank God for Harrison Phillips and that fumble recovery to put Stanford in position to get that winning touchdown and to escape out of Reeser with a 15-14 win. Now, that's not how I would have handled it, and I said this then. I probably would have put KJ in at some point in the second quarter and gone from there. That wasn't how I would have handled it. But that, that was my theory on why the quarterbacks were handled that way that night. So that was two years ago. As Stanford heads to Corvallis this year, is this game potentially a referendum on KJ Costello? I mean, let's face it. There, a lot of things haven't gone his way, right? A shuffled and inexperienced offensive line, knocked out against Northwestern, banged his hand against Oregon. And with those hurdles, he hasn't mostly been able to rise above those obstacles. Hasn't been able to rise above them. He's barely completed 50% of his passes in, in the last two games. It's been jarring to watch that especially when you compare what Stanford's opposing quarterbacks have done against the Cardinal, especially in the past completion percentage department. So he hasn't been able to rise above. And it's been a, it's been a struggle for KJ to the point where, where some folks are wondering just how much free reign Costello has as the starting quarterback for Stanford and how many snaps that he has. Now, Some are comparing this to the Keller-Chris versus K.J. Costello scenario that we saw two years ago that we just talked about. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think those two scenarios compare one bit. To me, that was clear-cut. Stanford offensively, for the most part, clearly responded better with K.J. Costello when he was running the show than it did, for the most part, under Keller-Chris two years ago. Even though Stanford this year played at its best In that first quarter against USC when Davis Mills was taking the snaps, I don't see the same thing at work here. There there isn't anything that Mills has done during games to this point that makes me say, man, that guy needs to be on the field and taking snaps pronto. No, that, that, that hasn't happened. Not to me anyway. Not during games. Is it happening during practice? No. Or at least I don't know. I can't answer that. We're not invited to practice. Stanford football practices are closed to the media. They've got people, they've got security folks, the Redcoats, they'll they'll shoo you away from there pretty quickly if you linger. But when Davis Mills had chances to lead the Stanford offense the second half against Northwestern and throughout the game against USC, he missed big throws, just like K.J. Costello has. Still, how strong is K.J.'s hold on the starting quarterback spot? Is it is it not as strong as, as I think it is? I was asking myself that as I was walking around campus on Tuesday afternoon, killing some time between uh, David Shaw's press conference and the soccer game I had to call, the men's soccer game I called for the Pac-12 Network that night. They're 7-0-0, by the way. Impressive start for Jeremy Gunn and that crew. I was walking around campus wondering about that, and then, then that's when I remembered this soundbite from David Shaw from earlier that afternoon when he was asked if he even gave any consideration at all to lifting K.J. Costello in favor of Davis Mills. No, I, I, honestly, I think there were, only, there were only two errant throws the entire game. 
which happens to every quarterback, um, regardless of, of level and how how um, how you're playing as a team. Um, he put the ball in the money a couple times, and you know, with guys in his face, they're tough throws. So it wasn't like he couldn't do the job, um, and and he was fighting through it. And every time he got on the sidelines, he was throwing the ball, warming up. Felt he could grip it. Felt he could uh, throw it well. And like I said, outside of two throws, I thought he played well. So that indicates to me that the coaches don't seem to have any major concerns about KJ as the starter right now. Nor I don't think they should. The, the coaches like Davis Mills. They really like him. And it sounds like some of the fans like Davis Mills, too. Then again, the backup quarterback is, is always the most popular guy in town, and I think a lot of that is at work here. But the folks whose opinions really matter on this believe KJ gives Stanford the best chance to win right now. And I agree. And hopefully that's still the case at about 7.30 on Saturday evening. And hopefully we're not asking some of the same questions after this road trip to Corvallis that we asked after the last road trip up to Oregon State. Plenty of questions and Stanford, the team in need of solutions, not just for this year, but but certainly beyond as well. What have we seen so far? How, how can we process some of the things that 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 have befallen the Cardinals so far this year? And what are some things that, that they can do going forward to make sure that things get back on track? For that, I turn to my special guest on this week's TreeCast. You read his stuff on Cardinal Sports Report for the Stanford website on Rivals.com. And he is certainly a lot more plugged into recruiting than I am. And I certainly appreciate that. And you'll hear some of that um, during the course of this conversation. So let's dive into our conversation with the publisher of the Cardinal Sports Report on Rivals.com, Jacob Raber. Well, Jacob, uncharted territory for Stanford football right now. Three straight losses. We haven't seen that from the Cardinal in 11 years. And an intriguing matchup coming up this weekend in Corvallis. We'll, we'll talk more about that uh, a bit later on. But let's just kind of start with your, your overall state of the Cardinal here right now. Looking good in some spots, really struggling in some others, but overall not consistent enough uh, to, to get the job done for the most part, it seems. How do you sum up this season so far? Uh... I would say one of the first thoughts I have is that when you're this inconsistent and you're struggling in the number of categories they're struggling, you have to be great at something to overcome it. And we haven't seen that this team is great at any one thing. Um, used to be Stanford had a great running back and that was going to cover up a lot of problems. Stanford had a really effective passing game because Kevin Hogan and the number of guys you could throw to so that was going to cover up the fact that the defense maybe wasn't playing up to the standard it had in previous years you had something you were great at to compensate for everything else right now almost across the board Stanford is trying to improve on things that are just either okay or bad uh, and speaking of improvement I think even though Oregon didn't play fantastically well Saturday you have to be pleased by the development of the defense one week after what could have been really embarrassing in Orlando, um, they come up with one of their better performances on the line of scrimmage in a long time. Um, and the fact that they responded that way, given the context of everything else, bodes well moving forward. So I would say my overall thought so far is that Stanford is still trying to find what it's good at, let alone what it's great at. 
Defensively, a lot of improvement, as you mentioned, between the games against USC and UCF to their performance last week against Oregon. And as, as, as much better as they performed last week, unfortunately what that Oregon game is going to be remembered for more often than not is the fact that Stanford only got two field goals out yeah. of it in the offense uh, with another day in which it really struggled and failed to make big plays when they really needed to. Um, Injuries, inconsistency, all sorts of things kind of go into that mix. Uh, Stanford's offense, when you look at its struggle, what sort of things pop in your, into your mind as you watch it? Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is a number, which is five touchdowns in four games by the offense. The defense has two. That's a much closer race than any coach wants to see between offense and defensive touchdowns in a season. As for the cause... Coach Shaw, just in his Tuesday press conference, wasn't really willing to put it on the injuries, even though that number is mounting, just as it has the past two seasons. And again, staying on message, just like he did after the game Saturday, that it's errors and execution problems. But my issue with that is, yeah, I see that when I watch the game, that there are guys making mistakes at key times, and this is not an offense that can then on the next play overcome it. Um, but I think a fair question kind of going forward, and Coach Shaw alluded to this, are the coaches putting the guys in the best position possible to improve and to play better? And after an entire offseason of, of preaching that they were going to focus on the fundamentals and get good at what they deemed themselves to be best at, it's not materializing on the field. And if you've put as much time into it as, as Shaw says that they have, then you have to question the effectiveness of that teaching because it's not translating. And if the coach is not willing to put it on the injuries, then it's something else. Um, but the passing game was expected to carry the burden while a lot of other things got figured out. And Costello has not been able to shine at the level that, of course, he did last season and would need to this season. But for me, if, if I wanted to get to a really specific thing, it all starts at the line of scrimmage. Just like the defensive line did a great job last week, the offensive line, you just got to feel bad for those guys at a certain point. There are people playing who didn't expect to play for two or three more years. Um, and when you rewatch the game, Devery Hamilton is really struggling, and he's playing not close to 100%, and he's getting bull rushed back into the quarterback, and he's kind of looking confused. Walter Rouse is doing the very best he can. But less than a year ago, Walter Rouse was playing against some of the worst high school competition in the country. Um, and, you know, at right tackle, Foster Sorrell is battling injury while at the same time trying to improve just himself. Um, and everyone's got to cross their fingers and toes and, and pray to whatever you pray to that Drew Dahlman stays healthy all season because if he goes down, I, I don't know. So it, it's a lot that's causing problems on offense. I, I thought it was interesting going back to David Shaw's uh, press conference last week. You asked the question, and it was a very valid one. It's certainly been something that's been on my mind as well. How did things get so thin off on the offensive line? And I played that entire sequence, his entire answer, and then your follow-up question to how many guys is enough, and he said a lot. Uh, what did you make of, of, of his answer, and how does his answer uh, kind of jibe with, with, with your kind of read on, on the situation as far as how things got so thin on experience on the offensive line and how things got to this point yeah I mean the full explanation would probably take a while but um, uh, the abridged version so what happened coach Shaw pointed to the 2018 recruiting class and he said that they only signed one guy on offensive line in that class and it was Trey Stratford 
and very unfortunately, and either in, in just in terms of football, it's it's sad. Trey has been hurt since the moment he he got to Stanford. He was hurt before I think he got to Stanford, and he is, I'm very confident, is yet to practice at Stanford, and is down to 240 pounds. So Shaw talked about how if Trey was available, you know, he's a really versatile recruit out of Allen, Texas, that super prestigious high school program in, in Texas, and that he would be able to help at any of the interior positions. But that would only just be one more guy. The issue is, is that there are no fifth-year offensive linemen on the team, something that was a mainstay to building Stanford's best offensive line. All four of the possible candidates to be fifth-years on this team are two of the four medically retired and then one it, it's not really a medical retirement he's actually on campus in a graduate program Nick Wilson and then Brian Chafin transferred to Rice so that whole four-man group just did not work out in terms of it, it longevity within the program and there are a number of reasons for why that happened and that's a different topic so no fifth-year seniors and then 2018 was a chance to really shore up the offensive line depth after signing Walker Little, Foster Sorrell, and Drew Dahlman in 2017. A trio no one could complain about. And obviously Dahlman has developed into a more than capable college center who by the time he graduates could be pretty darn good. And the only thing stopping Walker and Foster from being really good every week has been injuries. The fact that Stanford targeted only one offensive line recruit in 2018 has ended up being a huge problem because uh, by the end of that recruiting cycle, they were trying to get three, uh, and it just they struck out on their two offers that they made in July 2017 to try to get to three. And then they offered Trey Stratford in November of that year, and Trey took it because Trey was one of those kids who'd walk on broken glass to attend Stanford. So what happened is, is that going into 2019, when Kevin Carberry took over as offensive line coach, there was almost no progress made in terms of recruiting 2019 offensive linemen before he took over. Branson Bragg, who would be doing an outstanding job on the field right now if he hadn't, uh, I believe, broken his ankle, was offered the day that Bloomgren was announced as head coach at Rice. And before that, it had been several, it, before that there really wasn't a 2019 O-line recruiting board. So that's what Carberry walked into when he took the job was trying to build relationships from scratch. Um, so that's how you have five freshmen in the 2019 class who are being counted on to play a great deal when they're not necessarily ready to do so. And that's why there is really no redshirt freshman cohort ready to help them out um, because of how things played out in the 2018 recruiting cycle, which is the class that he pointed to himself. Yeah, interesting. A lot of kids getting shoved into the pool, and then you know you got to got to sink or swim. Especially now that Pac-12 play has uh, really started to uh, take into full steam. Well, positives. What, what do you like about this team? What are some things and some players and some moments that you've taken away from this squad and, and gone, okay, maybe there's a little something here? Yeah, um, there's individuals and then units. Um, I'll start on offense since we're talking so much about how they're struggling. Um, Michael Wilson just spoke with the media at the Tuesday press conference. He is a good football player. And if you have a team of Michael Wilsons, you're going to do just fine. Um, fights, plays hard, makes plays. Um, and Michael brought up a freshman who I expect to see more and more as the season progresses, Austin Jones of uh, Bishop O'Dowd, uh, Bay Area Pride right there. And 
Um, Jones, you know, Wilson talked about the wiggle Jones had. Jones was a four-star recruit, and one of the things that was constantly apparent when, when you read about him as a recruit and when you watched film was his footwork, his ability to make people miss. And also, by the way, he was a really effective receiver at O'Dowd and in seven-on-seven -seven tournaments. That'll be interesting to track going forward. Um, and also on, on offense, the run game has performed much better than I would have predicted, given everything going on around it. And Cam Scarlett should be darn proud of himself. He's having the type of season that, in, behind a more stable offensive line, what he's able to do kind of reminds me of what the run game in 2013 looked like. I think Cam brings a very similar dynamic to what that run game looked like if he was running behind that offensive line. So they're getting everything they could possibly hope for out of Cam. On defense, I think the defensive line took a really nice, the front seven as a whole, I would actually say, took a really nice positive step at Oregon versus Oregon. Uh, Mike Williams does not get a lot of attention because of the position he plays, but he had such a good game Saturday, and he constantly does little things really well. Um, and another player I like, even though I watch him make a mistake on one play, is Kendall Williamson. Because he hits dudes. And there was, um, there was a play, um, in the first half against Oregon when... Jonathan McGill, his, uh, another young DB, got turned around, and uh, Johnson III of, of Oregon had a pretty easy completion as a result. But it was Williamson who came up and knocked Johnson on the ground, and Johnson was pretty slow getting up. And so even though Williamson couldn't prevent the completion or the, the big game, he stopped it exactly where he met the ball carrier. Um, now, Williamson also didn't turn around on the touchdown reception that he gave up, which is the second straight week of a young kid not having the sense of when to try to turn and make a play on the ball. But you see the good things that are there. Um, and, yeah, I think the defense of the two units is, is the one that's making the improvement the fastest. And there are guys you can watch and be like, okay, that wasn't great on, on that rep, but the next one makes a good play. Oregon State at Oregon State this Saturday afternoon. And I'm always a little leery of road trips to Corvallis because I can't remember the last time it seemed the Cardinal walked out of there going, wow, that was that was pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the, the struggles with what this team went through in Corvallis two years ago, 2015 wasn't necessarily very easy, although Stanford was able to, to get a little distance there at the very end of it. But mm -hmm. overall, tough place to play, uh, a, a team that is still trying to find itself but has, has shown some flashes, has shown some moments. Uh, your, your initial thoughts and some things that the Beavers might try to throw at the Cardinal on Saturday. Yeah, there's just something funky about playing there. And the only thing you should be thankful about when, it comes, when the schedule comes out is that it's not closer to Halloween. Because <laughs> that's when it gets really funky in Corvallis. But, Don't worry, they make up for it by, by sending Stanford up to uh, Pullman in mid-November. So yeah, there is that. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, you're right. It's always been kind of weirdly difficult to have a nice, clean game up in Corvallis. Even going back to Andrew Lux last season, they went up to Corvallis and things did not click very well. Um, I, I expect this to be a, a challenging game for, for Stanford. Um, 
Would it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Stanford loses the game just because the number of guys who are questionable to play and the fact that the, the offense, it, until the offense starts clicking, it feels like it's a very long way from that happening. Um, I expect Oregon State um, to, to, challenge, to challenge Stanford's DBs. I think Stanford's front seven performance was encouraging to the point that I think it will discourage Oregon State maybe from trying to pound away up there. Um, but there are plays to be made against the Stanford defensive backfield, even against the undeniably great Paulson Adebo. Um, and for Stanford's offense, um, you know, Shaw was just talking about how Oregon State's pretty big up front and they're going to want to try to push around Stanford's offensive lineman. Well, there's a, there's a decent chance there's going to be two freshmen starting up front um, and that the rest of the guys are pretty much walking wounded, except maybe Drew Dahlman, and I haven't heard anything about Henry Hannes, but um, it's going to be very difficult, but if Stanford, my view is this, if Stanford can run the ball as effectively as they ran it against Oregon, their odds of coming away with a much needed win increase significantly. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be difficult. And again, I thought last year's uh, matchup against Oregon State was going to be difficult too, and that didn't quite end up being the case. So hopefully we're both wrong uh, in that respect again. As we wrap this up here, uh, critical point, still have October and November to go here, and there are still things on the table for Stanford that they can still uh, be able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, if you could point to one thing, if you can point to one thing that absolutely positively needs to happen in order for Stanford to get to where it wants to go by the time this season is said and done, what would that one thing be? Um, well, if, if the, if the, depends, I guess, on what the goal is now going forward. Sure. Um, I'm going to just keep it very basic at this point. If, if it's to go bowling and to keep that streak going and to try to, you know, maximize those extra practices and everything, uh, the one thing that needs to happen is, um, uh, the one thing that has to happen is that the offensive line stabilizes so that even if it's not, because we're a long way from the time where it would be an ideal starting five, that's just not going to happen, um, obviously, but that it's just the same five guys week after week. This week is almost certainly going to be yet another, it's a different group of five, which would be four out of the five games, so, yeah. four out of the five games, and it happened eight times last year. Um, so obviously Costello needs to get going. Obviously they need to start clicking with the young receivers and Colby Parkinson and the running backs, but it's got to be the same five guys up front. They've started, you know, being able to get wins together, so to speak, on the field has to start happening up front. It has to start happening up front, and it has to start happening this week. Should be interesting, Stanford at Oregon State. For all Cardinal news, I highly suggest you read my man Jacob Rayburn on Rivals.com. Always has good stuff. And what took me so long to finally have you on the show? Thanks so much for dropping by. I appreciate the knowledge. Uh, my pleasure, Troy. Thanks. Good stuff from Jacob Rayburn. And I, I, I thought uh, a pretty fair assessment of, of things 
um, in, in a lot of different respects. And there, there, there are youngsters playing in positions that, quite honestly, uh, they hope not to be playing in for at least one or two more years. And that is that has been part of of what the Cardinal have had to deal with. And if that health, yeah, they they can't afford the, the margin for error is gone health wise. Certainly on the offensive line, inside linebacker, I would add to that as well. But uh, if they can't stay healthy, then uh, then things are going to take uh, even a deeper turn for Stanford against them. But there's still time. They can still pull some things together. And, and they can still do some things, I think, against an Oregon State team that, that you know, they're one and two. I, I don't think talent-wise they're going to be placed anywhere near the upper echelon, certainly of the Pac-12 North. Uh, Oregon State lost to Oklahoma State and Hawaii. They beat Cal Poly 45-7. to and they had a bye last week. I asked David Shaw for his initial thoughts on the Oregon State Beavers when he talked about them earlier this week at his press conference. They've got big guys up front on the defensive line. Um, they're big, they're physical, they're athletic. Um, they've got length um, uh, in the secondary. Um, that's tough to deal with. Um, you know, offensively, they're versatile. Um, they can do a bunch of different things. Um, they've got guys that can make plays inside. Um, um, uh, guys that can make plays outside. So, um, but I think our, our focus needs to be continue to be on us um, to increase our execution on the offensive side and maintain the effort um, and discipline uh, that we've been playing with on the defensive side. Yeah, this is a team that can do some things. And, and as, as we talked about, and as I mentioned with, with, our, with Jacob Rayburn last year, I thought this was going to be a tough game. And as it turned out, it wasn't. Colby Parkinson blew up, and that game was over before it even started, really. This year, I know it's going to be tough based on what Cardinal football seems to be all about to this point in the season, in this season, and based on just going up on the road to Corvallis, a sneaky tough place to play. They got that chainsaw going on third down that that David Shaw certainly loves. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Watch in particular Oregon State's passing game. Quarterback Jake Luton. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions this year. He's been efficient. Hasn't turned the ball over. Isaiah Hodgins, a very good wide receiver and a very productive one as well, averaging just under 116 yards receiving per game. Also averages just under eight catches per game as well. So they involve him in the offense. But it's not just him. Watch out for Champ Flemings as well. That's a guy who really seems to be coming along as the season has gone for the Oregon State Beavers. So that could be very good news for a Beaver squad that might be looking at the tape of the Stanford secondary and going, hmm, this is a unit that, that struggles with knocking balls out, with knocking balls away. They have a lot of passes completed on them. That could potentially mean good things if you're Jonathan Smith, the head coach. I loved watching him play back in the day, man. Oh, man, I loved watching him play. Although maybe not necessarily on that 97-yard touchdown pass he threw to, to Chad Johnson at 2,000. That I did not enjoy. But Jonathan Smith and the Oregon State Offensive Coaching Brain Trust perhaps looking at that Stanford secondary and maybe liking some things they see. Now, can the secondary tighten things up? And can the front seven, which played its tails off against Oregon last week, can they continue to improve in a big-time way and disrupt things and mess things up for the Oregon State offense. That's going to be the key. That's going to be the key. 
would be nice if Stanford can also continue to run the ball against a big, stout Oregon State defensive line. And let's face it, this offense needs to make big throws, no matter who the quarterback is. This offense needs to make big throws. Guys have been open. Guys have been there. But throws have sailed too long, too short, just have not gotten to where they've needed to go when they've needed to get there the most. If Stanford can check all those boxes, then they could walk out of Corvallis uh, with the win. But there's no doubt about this. They need this win. This is a crossroads game for Stanford. Win today, and they're still on schedule to at least stay in the race to do things that they want to accomplish this year. If they lose this game, then perhaps everything goes out the window. Perhaps. That's my read on things as of right now. you got to read on it. I certainly welcome your thoughts. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity, and send me a thought. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is by far the best way to ensure that I will see your thoughts on Stanford football, on the show, or anything else that is on your mind. Speaking of, of, of what's on people's minds, I really like that we've added this feature on the show this year. It's called They Said It. Kind of the quote of the week. And I learned a new term on Tuesday. It was kind of fun. And it came courtesy of Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson. As Wilson had a pretty nifty way of describing the skill set of freshman running back Austin Jones. Never seen a guy that has so much natural wiggle and the way he's able to hold the ball and carry the ball. I mean, he can, he's able to just, he's like a magician with his body. I mean, if you look at this guy and just watch the way he's able to move his hips and his head and his shoulders, that can manipulate a defender into thinking he's going one way and then just cut the next way. Um, I mean, it's, it's insane. I've been trying to, been watching, been trying to learn a few things from him in training camp. Like, how can I get my wiggle to be um, up to his par? How about that? Natural wiggle. <laughs> I, I've never heard that before. <laughs> and it sounds like that could be a, a pretty cool thing to have. Natural wiggle. It's Michael Wilson, uh, the subject of our They Said It feature for the week. Well, here it is, Stanford versus Oregon State. Somebody will get their second win of the year, and it will be a much-needed win for someone. Whom will it be? We'll all find out at 4 p.m., beginning at 4 p.m. this Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. Roxy Bernstein and my man, Big Ant, Anthony Heron, will have the call on the TV side for you. And, of course, Scott Reese and John Platt sliding up to the analyst chair for this one. They will keep you informed. I will be on my couch and I'll bring you the next tree cast, likely either on Tuesday afternoon or perhaps Wednesday morning of next week. And we'll break down everything that we see in Corvallis and start looking ahead to the Huskies. Thanks again to our special guest from Cardinal Sports Report and Rivals.com, Jacob Rayburn, the publisher of that website, who is on the beam when it comes to all things Cardinal. And I'm kicking myself for just now having him on the show. This is the fourth year of the podcast, man. Why am I just now having him on the program? But thanks to Jacob Rayburn for stopping by and uh, and dropping some knowledge on us. Of course, the biggest thing and the biggest thanks goes out to you for jumping on and uh, being a part of the TreeCast with us. We'll talk to you next week. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. That's all there is to that. Thanks for checking us out. 
on the TreeCast with Troy Clare. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.